your study outlines. And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are uh, joining us online. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study of God's Word. Also for our friends in Arco, Idaho, and also those at the hangar in Montana. I've heard some great reports about what God has been doing there in the last few weeks. And also Purpose Church in Rancho Cucamonga. We are so glad that you are joining us as well as we continue our series entitled Explore God. Uh, The title of uh, today's Today's message is, Is There a God? Now today we're going to deal with the question, Is There a God? Now the rest of the series is going to be, If there is a God, how do we get to know Him? And the answer is through His Son, Jesus. In the same way the Bible says that God is holy, He's awesome, He's great, and so we are like outsiders looking in. He is inaccessible. But then His Son, Jesus, brings us into the presence of God. Through Jesus, once we know Him, He makes an inaccessible God accessible once again. And He brings us in and builds a relationship with His Heavenly Father because we come by way of the Son. Now, i got to make a confession to you. Last Sunday, the reason I was playing hooky from church is Kimberly and I were in Green Bay, Wisconsin to see the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field. Okay. Now, let me just just, uh, show you an illustration of what I'm talking about here. Uh, You'll see pictured outside, standing by the statue of Vince Lombardi, and we're on the outside looking in. It's inaccessible. There are signs everywhere. Keep out. Don't come any further. Uh, stay, stay back. And there are armed uh, guards and there are uniformed law enforcement officers there to help us to obey those signs. But then we connected with Grant and Courtney. Now, Grant is the son and, uh, of Randy Gardner, Pastor Randy, and, uh, his, and Cheryl, Cheryl and Randy, their son is Grant and his wife, uh, Courtney. And Grant is an assistant coach coach for the Green Bay Packers. What we call doing God's work is what we call that. Okay. So he's an assistant coach uh, for the Packers. Now it was inaccessible. Couldn't go any further. Then we meet up with Grant and Courtney and everything changes. Now we're standing by the Lombardi trophies. They're Super Bowl trophies. Next thing you know, we're standing underneath the 13, count them, 13 NFL championship banners. Next thing you know, we're in the locker room. And specifically, standing by my hero, Aaron Rodgers' locker. Is that a beautiful thing or what? You know. Uh, Next thing you know, we're going through the tunnel out towards the field. And we walk out and we're on Lambeau Field. And then the next thing you know, we're at the game. And then we're having a meal with the players and their families after the game. Everything changes based on who you know. Would you agree with me on that? It's all who you know. Now, these pictures will explain why our budget is going dramatically up this year in order to accommodate Pastor Randy's 500% raise. That, that is why uh, the, budget, the budget is going up. But in the same way, it's who you know. And it, it, is there God? And if there is, how can we get to know him? And we get to know him through his son, Jesus Christ. But that's the first thing we'll deal with is the question, is there a God? So let's start with this. So it has, it has been amazing to be married to a physicist. One of the things that Catherine has said to me that I think is so striking is we now know, for example, that there are these cosmological constants, these ways that the universe is tuned. Um, and and it's, it's things, it's, it's these numbers that the physicists have to plug into their equations to get everything to work. For example, there's a constant relating to gravity. How, how strongly do things attract each other? 
um, and you set that just a little bit differently, and the universe never gets stars, uh, and then never gets planets, because stars form, obviously, by gravity. And the universe just quickly collapses in on itself. Or, if it's set the other way, if the dial is turned just too far the other way, it expands endlessly, and you never get the coalescing of matter that you get in the in the galaxies, and, and in stars, and then in planets, and then eventually our planet. So the fact that these things are tuned, and there are, there's a do, at least a dozen of these constants that have to be, the dial has to be set exactly right or you never get life of any kind on a planet like Earth. Uh, and scientists have realized we have no idea why they're set the way they're set. I think when you start discovering those just givens of the universe, like it just is this way, it didn't have to be this way, but it is this way, it leaves you much more open to the possibility that it is this way because someone someone chose it to be this way. I've, I've traveled around the world. I've been to about 24 different countries. I've spoken to people from every religious background. Um, I've, I've talked to people who grew up in 70 years of atheistic communism. And you know what is shocking is that even in that environment, the majority of people, when you get them alone uh, and you ask them, they say, you know, deep down, I've always believed there must be a God or a higher power or someone up there who, who gave me life, who, who has purpose for my life. And, and you think about that, like, why is that so common to humanity? Um, there's got to be some reason. And, and doesn't it make sense that, that that's like this homing device in every human pointing us back to the very source of life? If you actually think it through, the idea that, let's say, okay, there's no God. Um, we just got here by accident. <clears throat> you know, we, we evolved out of the primordial soup over billions of years, totally totally accidentally. God didn't guide that because he doesn't exist. So we're here. So you have it logically follows that life has no meaning. Now, people go, okay, well, no, life has no meaning. If you think about that, it is so bleak and horrifying that most people would know that can't be. The love that you feel for people in your life that you have felt, according to the idea, if there's no God, then that love means nothing. It's not even love. It's just a chemical reaction designed to perpetuate the species totally by accident. I want to kind of introduce a verse that will kind of be a theme for our series from Proverbs 18, verse 17. It's not there in your study outline, but maybe write that down in your notes. Proverbs 18, verse 17. It says, In a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examines. Now, I just want to encourage you, as my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we don't have to be defensive on this thing. You see, we tend to feel like the only side that can speak is the other side. And so they speak first in the lawsuit. And so it seems like they've got some good points and they attack uh, the existence of God. And we feel defensive. But remember, everything seems right. In a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examines. And that's what we're going to do today. That's what we're going to do throughout the series. We're going to cross-examine and put the shoe on the other foot and say they need to provide evidence uh, as, as well. And so do we get defensive? Sure. If somebody says to us, well, how can you believe in a God you can't see? That is hard. Let's admit it. That's a difficult thing. Uh, somebody says, are there things in the Bible that are hard to believe? 
Absolutely. Are there things in the Bible that are awkward to defend? Absolutely. But now let's put the shoe on the other foot. Because remember, what we're looking for here is not scientific evidence that you can reproduce in a laboratory. We're looking for legal evidence. Do we believe what we believe based on a preponderance of evidence? That is, do we believe beyond a reasonable doubt? How many of you have ever served on a jury? Let let me see your hands. And you know, when you're on a jury, they don't ask you to know 100%. I've served on a few juries, and I tell you, you walk out of there, and there's always a, a little bit of doubt. Did you do the right thing? But you do the best you can with the evidence you have to believe something, to hold to a position based on evidence beyond a reasonable doubt. In a civil case, it's not even unanimous. You don't even have to get all the jurors. In California, you just have to get nine out of 12 uh, to believe that beyond a reasonable doubt, a certain thing is true. And the same is true here. And so what we believe as followers of God, as followers of Jesus, that three things make logical sense to us. First of all, we believe that it is more logical to believe that something came from something is more logical than that something came from nothing. Put the shoe on the other foot. They have to believe that everything we see, all that there is, is here, and it came, something came from nothing. And we believe it's more logical to believe that something came from something or that something came from someone. That is more logical to believe than the alternative. The second thing we believe is that if there is a God, does it make sense that he would try to communicate with us? And we believe it makes more sense that if there is a God, he would try to communicate with us rather than he would just create it and walk away. And then the third thing we ask ourselves is if there is a God, if it makes sense that he would try to communicate with us, which communication is the most reliable? And that's what the remainder of our series is. Which religion, which philosophical worldview is the most logical, believing that is the most reliable communication from God? And so we'll answer questions like next Sunday, I'll teach on why does God allow pain and suffering? Is Christianity too narrow? Is Jesus really God? Is the Bible reliable? And can I know God personally? But the first one we're going to deal with is, is there a God? That's where we're our, our starting point. And there are four evidences for the existence of God that I want to talk about. Now, there are thousands of pieces of evidence for the existence of God. Let me just deal with four. Number one, the evidence of creation, what we call the cosmological argument. Uh, David, 3,000 years ago, stated this argument in Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. The cosmological argument... Uh, comes from the word cosmos, meaning world, logos, meaning reason. And so it basically is the argument of the reason for the world. What is the reason for the world? It states that the universe is an effect which requires an adequate cause, and the only sufficient cause is God. Rationale number one is the principle of sufficient reason. That is, for an effect, there must be a cause. Uh, Even if scientists can work it back to say, here's what happened 14 billion years ago, this incredibly dense uh, point of mass and energy, which they say was about the size of a car, and all the universe compressed into the size of an automobile, at that moment, you still have to answer the question, how did that get there in the first place? Who lit the fuse for it to expand into the universe? Even if you work it all the way back, you still got to answer the question, how did it get there to begin with? and who lit the fuse, and who oversaw the expansion of the universe from that moment of what they would refer to as the Big Bang Theory. 
It's kind of like the old story about uh, God is having a competition with a scientist. And the scientist says to God, you know, we can create life just like, just like you can. And God said, okay, let's have a contest. You go first. And so uh, the scientist begins to mold dirt into the uh, size of a shape of a human being, going to apply a spark to it to bring about the spark of life. And God goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. Get your own dirt. Get your own dirt. Now, that's just kind of a silly story, but it's a very powerful argument that even if you can figure out how the dirt got to where we are today, you got to get your own dirt. You got to have your own stuff there to begin with. So don't feel defensive when people say, how can you believe in a God you can't see? How can you believe in certain things? Don't be defensive on that because the alternative is, is way less logical that just something is here and it came from nothing. And when you say to them, well, well, how did that get there to begin with? It just is, it is what it is. That's the depth of the logical argument. It is what it is. Rationale number two is the principle of contingency. That is one thing is contingent on another. It's what we call cause and effect. If you have an effect, you must have a cause behind it. If you're hiking this afternoon up Mount Baldy and uh, you see, you look off in the woods and there's a computer in the middle of the woods. Nobody says, isn't that interesting how the wind and the rain and the elements just randomly got together over a long period of time and produced that computer? No. You immediately know that or think that, well, somebody had that computer, somebody built it, somebody designed it, uh, somebody owned it, and then a litter bug, they didn't know where to dump it, so they came up here to Baldy and threw it into the woods. That would be the logical thing to, to think when you're traveling on your vacation. Maybe you've seen mountain ranges that vaguely look like uh, something, you know, like you see in the clouds, you can see animals and faces and things like that. Where you're driving along and you see the mountains, and the most typical one is they call it the sleeping giant, where it'll look like the silhouette of a person sleeping, and you can see the nose is one peak and the mouth is another. And you'll say that vaguely, that does kind of look like a human. I can see where they came up with that name, uh, the sleeping giant, because the elements have randomly done that. Okay, and that, that's possible. But nobody on their vacation drives up to Mount Rushmore and says, isn't it interesting what the elements did there? Isn't that a crazy coincidence, what what took place? Nobody says that. You look at the specificity and the detail of Mount Rushmore, and you say there had to be a designer and a design behind what we see. The rationale number two, the principle of contingency. The big question, if all that exists is indeed contingent, then what is the explanation? Who is responsible for all of them as a total? This makes a compelling case for an all-powerful, eternal, non-contingent being. There's another name in your repertoire for God. He is the non-contingent being. You say, oh, Glenn, that's kind of silly. No, that's what he calls himself. Moses, God introduces itself to, to Moses. Moses says in the burning bush, what's your name? He says, I am that I am. And when you first read that as a new believer, you're like, that's kind of odd. It makes perfect sense. He says, I am that I am. There has to be something at the beginning that is a non-contingent being, that is eternity, past, present, and future. I am that I am. I simply am. And from someone comes something makes way more sense than that something came from nothing. He is the non-contingent being. George Wall Professor Emeritus of Biology at Harvard University, Nobel Prize winner in biology in 1971, gave a very, very honest response. Boy, this is a moment of honesty. He writes, there are only two possible explanations as to how life arose here on the planet. 
spontaneous generation arising to evolution or a supernatural creative act of God. There is no third position. Spontaneous generation was scientifically disproved 120 years ago by Louis Pasteur. But that leaves us with only one other possibility, that life came as a supernatural act of creation by God. But I can't accept that philosophically because I don't want to believe in God. Therefore, by faith, I choose to believe, and that which I know is scientifically impossible, which is spontaneous generation. Uh, Who's got their head in the sand now? Who's a member of the flat earth society now? Um, And and we just simply choose to believe that which is logical and reasonable to believe. Number two is the evidence of design, the teleological argument. It was stated by Paul 2,000 years ago in Romans 1 verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men and people are without excuse. The teleological argument comes from the word telos, meaning end. The reason for the end of all things states that the universe not only provides a maker, but also a designer. This argument simply says that random chance for the explanation of the universe and its complexity is highly unlikely. It says whenever and wherever there is order, design, and structure, reasonable thinking people know that someone is responsible for it. You go this afternoon and take off the back of your computer or the back of your television and look at the complicated circuitry there. Nobody says, wow, look what the explosion in the factory produced. Nobody thinks that. They all think there's got to be a designer behind the design. Heard a true story, true story a number of years back. Scientists put a bunch of monkeys in, in a room with a bunch of computers and just let them type away all day long for about a month to see what they produce. And at the end of a month, they have pages and pages and pages of just random letters and spaces and symbols following each other. And they didn't come up with even one word. Now you you say, well, that may, no. I mean, that's a very low standard. To get one word, you only need A with a space before it and afterwards. That's a word. You only need I, you'd need that capitalized with a space and space after. Didn't produce any word, much less a Shakespearean play. I mean, they, they just didn't, they didn't produce anything. Because you know, it takes, a, takes an author to produce a novel. It takes a designer uh, to produce a design. What it took for the universe to produce life. Now, there are hundreds of different variables. And there are more that scientists are discovering all the time. There are more and more things all the time that we're discovering that had to be perfect in order for there to be life. Let me just give you three examples. Uh, Getting the right cosmos, okay? And you'll see the things listed down there. The right galaxy. Uh, Getting the right sun. And you'll see that the sun's more massive, it's a problem. If it's less massive, it's a problem. If it's any redder, it's a problem. If it's any bluer, it's a problem. Next page of your study outline. Getting the right distance from the sun. 2% closer, we're destroyed. 2% further away, all life and earth is destroyed. The creator and the cosmos. There are many other factors which require the same sort of fine-tuning for life to exist. Any one of these differing much above or below what they do now would prevent life from developing. Their explanations uh, are beyond the scope of what we're going to talk about here, but here are some of them, and you'll see the list of just some of them, and there are hundreds of things that need to be absolutely perfect. Hugh Ross, in his book, The Creator and the Cosmos, 
writes, if the laws of physics were different, if gravity was slightly different, if the strong nuclear force within an atom was different, molecules couldn't function, matter would fly apart, and scientists are beginning to wonder who calibrated it all. I just read this past week uh, that, do you know that your brain, the human brain, every second has over 100,000 chemical reactions take place. Over every second, your brain has over 100,000 chemical reactions that take place. Now, somebody said to me after the last service, yeah, Glenn, I think some are only at 50,000, he said. Some of you, I know, but, uh, and I've got days when I'm down to about 10,000 or so. But, but every second, hundred, over 100,000 chemical reactions happen in, in, in the human brain. Uh, how, how does that calibration uh, take place. Astrophysicist Fred Hoyle calculated the odds that all the functional proteins necessary for life might form in the place by random events. He came up with a figure of one chance in 10 to the 40,000th power. That's one with 40,000 zeros after it. Since there are only about 10 to the 80th subatomic particles in the entire visible universe, he concluded that this was an outrageously small probability. Life could not have originated here on the earth, nor does it look as though biological evolution can be explained from within an earth-bound theory of life. My atheism has been greatly shaken. Now, the old argument used to be with Darwin and others that, yeah, there's a lot of coincidences that need to take place, but the earth is a really old place and it's a really big place. So you got chances for those coincidences to take place. But as they increased more and more things, they discovered more and more that had to be perfect. They said, ah, earth isn't old enough. It's not big enough, but the universe is. And so Carl Sagan and others came along and said, well, then it means that aliens came from another part of the universe and seeded or planted life here on planet earth. But then they discovered more and more factors that had to be perfect. And so they began to realize that even though the universe is big, it's not big enough. And even though it's old, it's not old enough for it to happen by random chance. And so now the new theory perpetrated by Richard Dawkins in his book, The God Delusion and Other Prominent Atheists, is what's called the multiverse theory, which is that there are an infinite number of multiple universes. Now, there's no evidence for that. But in there, running away from the conclusion that it had to be a designer, God, behind the design, they just keep running from theory to theory to run away from the truth. And so now there's this whole idea that there are infinite number of universes. But even if that were the case, you still got to get your own dirt in whatever universe you want the random chance to happen. You still have to believe that something came from nothing, and even if you do have multiple universes, who put the stuff there and lit the fuse in that particular universe? Science historian Frederick Burnham writes, the community of scientists is prepared to consider the idea that God created the universe a more respectable hypothesis today than at any time in the last hundred years. Charles Darwin in his Origin of the Species says, to suppose that, for example, the human eye with so many parts all working together, could have been formed by natural selection, seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest degree. And that was the human eye, because see, the problem is with natural selection is it's only a competitive advantage that will be carried on to next gener subsequent generations if, it's, if, it, if all the parts of the eye, once they're together and they all work, then it becomes a competitive advantage. 
But half an eye is worse than no eye at all. Parts of the eye are no competitive advantage with regard to natural selection. There's no advantage until all the parts come together. And so how do you get subsequent changes that take place to get the end result when the subsequent changes are not a competitive advantage? On a smaller basis, there's this thing called the bacterial flagellum, which again has all these working parts, but there is no advantage to it until all the parts work at the same time. Now, uh, Darwin knew this, and he said, I know it's crazy when you consider the eye, okay? But he didn't even know about the human cell, And the human cell is a thousand, thousands of times more complex than the human eye. And Darwin didn't even know about the cell at the point he said this about the eye. And then number three, the evidence of personality, what we call the anthropological, the man-centered, anthropos man, uh, reason for man argument. Now, at first glance, this seems like more of a foo-foo argument Uh, more of a touchy-feely argument compared to the more hard science of the cosmological or the teleological arguments. But actually, it's one of the most powerful arguments of all. And that is, without a God, how do you explain things like morality, beauty, ethics, values, love, and personality? Where do they come from without a God? How do you get a rock to appreciate the beauty of a sunset? How do you get a tree to fall in love? These things are are not silly arguments. They are powerful arguments. Where do you get these things from if they don't flow from the divine image that we are stamped with from the very character of God? Back to Romans 1 verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. We love because he loved. We appreciate beauty because he appreciated beauty. We have a sense of that which is moral and and that which is valuable because he had a sense or he has a sense of of morality. We have personality because he he has personality, the evidence of personality. And then number four, the evidence of expert testimony. Fred Hoyle writes, a super intellect has monkeyed with physics as well as with the chemistry and the biology. Uh, Paul Davies, interesting story here. Um, He's a widely published, well-known astrophysicist, and he has recently moved, or a few years back, moved from a position promoting atheism to a belief in God. And it's interesting that his name is Paul because the conversion was just as dramatic. In the same way, Paul is walking uh, towards uh, Damascus to persecute the Christians there, and he meets Jesus, and now he makes a U-turn in, in his life. In the same way, Paul Davies, named after the Apostle Paul, I assumed, was going in one direction, and the evidence led him in a different direction. He writes, the laws of physics seem themselves to be the product of increasingly ingenious design. There is for me powerful evidence that there is something going on behind it all. It seems as though somebody has fine-tuned nature's chambers to make the universe. The impression of design is overwhelming. Vera Kistiowski, a famous MIT physicist, writes, The exquisite order displayed by our scientific understanding of the physical world calls for the divine. Cosmologist Edward Harrison writes, here is the cosmological proof of the existence of God. The fine-tuning of the universe provides evidence of deistic design. Many scientists, when they admit their views, incline toward the design argument. Arno Penzias 
writes, astronomy leads us to a universe with the very delicate balance needed to provide exactly the conditions required to permit life and one which has an underlying, one might say, supernatural plan. Um, After the first service, I was talking to uh, a couple uh, that has been coming the last uh, couple of months here. You know, it's been a wonderful thing. We've had many students from Western University as a part of our church this fall. It's just been so wonderful to have these dynamic, scientifically oriented uh, students here as part of our church family. It's been such a blessing. And uh, this young lady with her husband uh, came up, and she said after the, the message uh, earlier, she said, you know, my, my dad um, was a nucle- is a nuclear physicist, and he was in Soviet, the Armenia of the Soviet Union during the communist regime, and had to hide, we had to hide our Bible, but we would sneak it out every Christmas and celebrate Christmas. And he says, my dad is the godliest passionate follower of Jesus Christ today as a nuclear physicist. Her mom's a, a doctor and her dad's a nuclear physicist. And she said, oh, this stuff, she says, you'd be amazed the number of physicists that believe in God. Because she said, when they just look at the universe, they are compelled to believe in the designer behind the design of, of the universe. Now, if God exists, what now? What are the implications for if God doesn't exist, and what difference does it make? What implications are there if God does exist? But first of all, let's talk about the implications if he does not exist. What are the three big implications? And these are not in the fill-in-the-blanks at the end. Um, the blank fillers were panicked after the last service and ran to me saying, where are the blanks? So I'll, they're, they're phrases, and I'll try to say them slowly so we can uh, get them written in. The one at the head of the line was my wife, Kimberly. You know, if she doesn't get the blanks filled in, it ruins her week. Anybody like that? Anybody like that? Yeah, got to get those blanks filled in. So here they come. And another mistake I, I want to point out that I made was if you look at the websites at the end, there are a couple that um, uh, are out of existence. And so the two main ones I would point you to on the for further research are the one from Reasons to Believe and the American Scientific Affiliation. Those two are current, and so those are the two that I would point you to, Reasons to Believe and the American Scientific Affiliation. Uh, Implication number one, we should have a holy reverence for life and for every person we encounter. If there is a God, and if people are made in the image of God, every person we encounter, whether born or unborn, we should approach with a holy reverence for life to every life we encounter, every person we encounter. Genesis 1, then God said, let us make man in our image. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So every person made in the image of God. Therefore, every person is treated with dignity, love, respect, and reverence. Number two, we have a chance to know God uh, through Jesus. Uh, Paul writes about Jesus in Colossians chapter 1. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. To see Jesus is to see God, and through Jesus is to get to know God. So we have a chance to get to know God. And you know, let me, one of the things I want to kind of repent of in my attitude this morning is I I do not want it to be kind of like this, let's smack, you know, the atheist. No, I want this to be an encouragement to us and we should have greater love, and, and, and our hearts should break for those that deny the existence of God. 
Because even though when you hear people you know, like Bill Maher and Richard Dawkins and others on TV, I, 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 I admit that my blood begins to boil and I get angry. But then I think to myself, what a scary thing it is to approach death and not believe in God. Remember, when it's all said and done and people say one thing and thing, people say another, okay, when it's all said and done, every person closes their eyes in death. Every person has that moment when they face their own mortality, their own moment of death, and how desperately fearful it would be to approach that not believing in God. So rather than our anger, uh, we get angry when they mislead other people. I think that's legitimate. But not our anger at them. It should be compassion. It should be with broken hearts. Let us do what we can to win them because we want everybody to be prepared for that moment. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto a person once to die, and after this, the judgment. And so our heart should, should break, not in angry condescension or trying to prove ourselves right, but in loving, humble compassion, trying to win everyone to make sure that everybody is prepared for that day. We have a chance to know God. And then number three, If God exists, our greatest passion in life should be to know him and to make him known. Everything else fails in insignificance. Nothing else really matters in life except to know him and to make him known. If he does indeed exist, that should be all-consuming, to know him and to make him known. Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything that hinders. Get rid of all the the weight that hinders us from our race that is secondary in prioritization and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And I want to give you a chance to do that right now. Would you look to the next page, the upper left-hand corner, and you'll see the steps to how to be a follower of Jesus. And, and it talks about the three steps. First of all, we admit our condition before God. On our hearts is written God's law and morality. We know we need somebody to forgive us. We know we need a Savior, okay? And, and I once heard an atheist say, the thing I'm most jealous of you Christians about is, is you've got somebody to forgive you. I feel the need of somebody to forgive me, and I've got nobody to forgive me. We believe that Jesus is God's solution to that condition, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we choose to follow Christ as our Savior and Lord. Jesus said, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. And I want to give you a chance to do that right now. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. And before we pray this prayer, there's another prayer that you may want to pray. Maybe you say, Glenn, you know what? Um, You've got me thinking about the existence of God, but I'm just, I need more evidence in order to close the deal. And And I get that. I totally get that. So maybe a better prayer for you if you're watching online or you're in Arco or or Marion, Montana or Rancho Cucamonga or you're listening to this later on on podcast. Right now, maybe a better question would be, Uh, or a better prayer would be, Lord, if you're out there, would you reveal yourself to me? I'm willing to be made willing. Um, Lord, 
I am wrestling with doubts, and I want you to know we all do. It's, it's, it's like a legal evidence. We believe beyond a reasonable doubt, but that doesn't mean that we don't still struggle with doubts. And so maybe you're just saying, you know what, though? I am willing to be made willing. I'm willing to be open to the evidence, Lord. If you're out there, would you reveal yourself? Do you know there's a Bible verse that's even written about you where God says, I will... If you seek me with all your heart, I promise me you that you'll find me. And so right now, let's just pray. Lord, I seek you. I begin to search for you, to explore God today. And Lord, if you're out there, would you reveal yourself to me? But now maybe you're here and you say, Glenn, I'm ready to close the deal. Let's do this thing. I, I've got, I don't have all the evidence I could ever have but I've got enough evidence to believe beyond a reasonable doubt. I've still got some doubts, but I'm ready to make a decision because I believe beyond a reasonable doubt. Okay, let's make this commitment. And would you pray silently as I pray out loud? Dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to earth. I believe that Jesus was who he said he was, and he proved it by rising from death. I want to discover and begin following your plan and purpose for my life. I want to get to know you personally. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying for me and forgiving all my sins. Right here, right now, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your free gift of eternal life. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, we've got a gift we'd love to give to you. It's called Unwrap Your Gift. It's available at the guest center on the south end of the lobby or the north end of the lobby. Um, If you'd like to talk to somebody, there's somebody that would love to talk to you about this decision. Or if you'd just like to pick up this material, there's no obligation, no pressure whatsoever. Just pick this up as a gift from our church to you to help you in your walk with God. And again, they're on the guest center on the south end of the lobby and the north end of of the lobby. Let's stand together for our benediction. And just a reminder that our prayer room is open here on the main floor uh, to this side. Um, If you'd like prayer for anything, our prayer team, our prayer partners are there. And if that would be an encouragement to you, they would just love uh, to pray with with you or for you, uh, whatever your need might be. I want to close with Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever, and all God's family said, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.